Yes, 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 yes. Welcome to the Science of Getting Rich podcast. I'm your host, Gerald Peters. Always remember, folks, whatever you think about comes about. Whatever you focus on grows. Let's turn that down. Let's talk about dealing with financial fear. Dealing with financial fear. I mean, let's be honest. We've had a stock market that's gone up for a long time. A lot of people are a lot richer. Assets haven't been increasing. Housing prices have been going up for years, man. Years. I've been buying houses all my life, and they just keep going up. And the stock market's been going up too. Now, one of the things about the stock market that is not as true as in the real estate, at least not in my lifetime. Because if we go back, there's been, there's been all kinds of crashes in real estate. Prices come way down. People lose jobs, can't pay rent. Landlords get foreclosed on. People get foreclosed on, which causes a ripple effect, which in Home Depot sales and delivery sales and paint sales and furniture sales and food sales and electrical bills. Everything begins to spiral path down, which causes a ripple effect throughout the economy, what's known as the business cycle. And these cycles go up and down. I teach this thing in, inside of a book that I wrote called The Money Flow. And it is what it is. This is just what I've believed to be true, that markets basically move in four cycles. And we can't predict them perfectly, but we can kind of get the right place, the right idea. Markets uh, do what I call basing. They, they fall to a certain price and they kind of hang out there a while. They rise up to a price and they kind of hang out there. And, and I believe that you could... You could just take a guess or come up with some sophisticated way or some idea of how to value an asset like real estate and how, you know, based on is, is this a good place to put your money? And so, you know, our fear is, and it's a logical fear. It makes sense. Nobody wants to be stupid. Nobody wants to buy something that goes down, but we freak out when we, assets that we purchase go down. In my book, You Don't Have to Die Broke, I have a chapter titled Dealing with Financial Fear. It is on page 59, it's chapter nine, and it's a real thing. And I wish I could stand here and tell you, uh, uh, you hear my bird? You hear the bird in the back? I wish I could sit here and say to you, man, I've always done this perfect because I haven't. I made some huge mistakes at various times during uh, market sell-offs where I could have become incredibly prosperous and I didn't have the guts to do it when the time came. This is why if you ever, if you follow me on Instagram or YouTube, some of my videos, uh, 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 they could be fancier. And you'll hear me use words like, it takes courage to be an investor. Don't be gutless. Don't be a coward. That word right there, having been ex-military, just the word coward invokes feelings of illness. Like, like I don't want to, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a coward. You know, I mean, I didn't fight in Fallujah. Don't misunderstand me. But I've been in combat where I had my weapon and I'm a soldier and they're shooting at me and I'm shooting at them. And we did that for days on end. And, you know, um, I didn't have the, uh, the honor of doing it for years on end. Now, I was in war zones, combat zones for years on end during, you know, you have times of peace. People stop shooting and you're still in a tension zone. Like right now, there's areas of Afghanistan where nobody's getting shot, but it's still tense. It was a war zone at one time. Everyone has guns and everyone's looking at each other. 
that brings with it a, a sense of tension. Well, stock market brings tension too. Let me, let me, uh, I, what I'm saying is I've been to war, been to combat, and I've had feelings of similar fear in the financial markets. Watching my money go from $100,000 to $50,000 in the year 2007, in the subsequent years, 2008 and 2009, and you watch your account balance drop by 50%, guess what? Warren Buffett's account balance dropped by 50%. Guess what? Ray Dalio's account went down. Peter Lynch's quantum fund went down. Like, like everybody went down. Now you could, in theory, perfectly predict a turn in the market. One, absolutely, you could do that. People do that all the time. Don't miss. It's hard. It's hard. You could set up a strategy to try to profit when the business cycle turned. And so you would be in the business of predicting or hoping or betting or believing against just American prosperity. And the problem I have with the short side, the problem I have with taking the, it, it, we need to try to, that, that, that our fears become to a certain level that we've taken on the position of trying to literally profit from the coming doom that we see coming. Sometimes people get that right. And they look very prophetic and they look very smart. You know, the big short in 2008. But go look, that guy went on to lose a lot of money and a lot of other things. I'm sure, I mean, he's a brilliant man. But you don't want to stake your investing future on outlier situations. I'm not saying you don't participate. I'm not saying you don't do that. And if you have some reason to do it, then you pursue it. But make sure that what you're pursuing makes sense to you, that it's logical. See, I'm, the problem I have is I like to buy undervalued assets that produce income. I like to collect them. I like reading on them. I like understanding about the different. I like thinking positive, like I'm pro-American. I'm pro-democracy. I don't think things are going to break down. I think things are only getting better. I think it's easier now to build wealth than it's ever been in the history of the world. I'm not saying everyone's participating in that equally. Some people born today would have been better off if they'd have been born in 1850. Their mindset, the way they act, the way they want to do themselves. They don't, they don't like technology. They like working with plants. They like working with animals with their hands or being outside. Would prosper in a world where there was no internet, maybe. You get what I'm saying? There's different levels of consciousness within where we are in time and space. But the basic concepts of business and booms and bus cycles hasn't changed. We could go all the way back to the days of the tulip where it was the modern day Bitcoin, right? I remember when I was a kid, people were buying emus and ostrich forms. Shit you not. Google that. I remember when I was a kid, a dude taking $200,000, him talking with my dad, and they opened up ostrich farms because ostrich eggs were going for like five grand an egg. And they had figured out these birds laid four to, I don't remember what was, four to six eggs a year. So one bird could produce like three, 400% returns a year. People bought ostriches and started ostrich farms. And you can do that. And some people pull it off and some people are outliers in that process. And if you see a wedge, if you see an angle, if you're an outlier, you pursue that shit. I've never been an outlier. I'm not amazingly talented at anything. I'm not going to come up with any new invention or new business idea. I'm not really smart in math. I'm not really like scientifically oriented. I'm not a great writer. I'm not a great speaker. I'm just, my dad used to say I was a renaissance man or a, a jack of all trades that I knew a little bit about everything. 
And I began to see, okay, I'm making money. I'm not going to invent anything. So I'm not going to waste any time on that process. Um, I'm probably not going to launch some big corporation where I'm wearing a suit and I got a bunch of employees and I'm sitting in my office doing spreadsheets and, you know, I'm the CEO. That's not me. So that's probably not going to happen either. Um, I am a guy that does hustles. I am a guy that likes to communicate with people. I'm a guy that'll write a little bit. I'm a guy that'll get up real early, go to work and push all day. I'm that guy. And so I just began to start solopreneur businesses. If you ever, if you're a fan of Robert Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki has this thing called the, the, uh, 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 the E, the I, the B and the S, right? The quadrants, the four quadrants. I think his book quadrant crash flow is much better read than his book, rich dad, poor dad. I've joked about having my own version and that I have a friend who's a rich friend and I have a friend who's a poor friend and they're as polar opposites can be. Whenever I first started listening or it occurred to me, I was like, wow, I have the same story, but instead of being a dad, it's a friend. And I thought I should write a book on that, but probably be sued or something. Maybe not, huh? Rich friend, poor friend. <laughs> anyway. So as I look at the world and the business cycle and I see these things of booms and busts and some things get hot and some things don't and some technologies work and some technologies don't, I began to think that like there's just some basic things that just kind of work all the time. Three things always sell in any economy. Sex. Sex always sells. Illegal, non-legal. You get what I'm saying. Porno. Just sex in general. Human beings like sex. Weight loss or physical appearance, beauty, whatever you want to call this category. There's sex and then there, let's just call it beauty, health and wellness. People are always trying to feel a little better. People are always trying to lose a little weight. People are always trying to look a little better. Okay. And they're always interested in sex. The third industry that always has business is get rich quick. And that's what we see with, I believe, crypto. Maybe I'll be proven to be wrong. Um, we saw that in the first dot-com era, people just got so greedy. The businesses didn't actually meet the principle of being a successful business. That's been the definition for 5,000 years and that you have to actually make money, right? You don't have a real business when you don't make money. That's, that's something else. That's a whole new idea, a new creation where we run a business like Uber. I'm an investor in Uber and Uber doesn't make money. Amazon didn't make money for years and years and years. You try to run a business that doesn't make money. You can only do that on other people's money. That's one of the beautiful things about the free market enterprise and where I'm taking this. I'm not going to start a big corporation. I'm probably not going to be a famous writer. I'm not going to be an actor. I'm not going to play sports. But I can hold down a job. I got a job. And I can look for better jobs and just apply for jobs, right? And I realized I could get my credit right. Like I could get myself set where at least my financial representation reputation if you looked it up they said oh no this guy's good for it i pay my bills on time like you got to get that fixed you can't do anything build any wealth level up become bigger you can't do anything if you have bad credit and so that has to be something that you look at once a month go to credit karma and log into the app and check your credit i should get a commission on this you have to know what your credit score is okay this is paramount you're going to need to leverage up Leveraging up requires you to have good credit. Does that make sense? People are going to need to think you're trustworthy. Let me put this on. Got someone calling me. 
I haven't lost track of where we're at. We're talking about financial fear. Chapter nine in my book, you don't have to die broke. But as me, I began to realize that what I do need good credit, and that's something that I can begin doing right now. You can begin doing right now. You need to get yourself two or three credit cards. I know in my book, I say no credit cards. You could do this with debit cards. I'm finding that it's really hard for people to do that. Um, if you're in debt or have had problems managing money, credit cards can be very dangerous. I've met people with 30 and 40 and $50,000 on a credit card. In my book, I tell people don't have credit cards. I have credit cards. But I'm disciplined. Like I really am. I'm not making that up. I'm not bragging. I take great pride in my ability to manage myself and my money. And I'm not talking about budgets. I don't do budgets. Here's what I have. Here's what I do. In my mind, at all times, I track all of my assets, my houses. I have 15 rental houses. I know all the addresses, where they're at, how much they're renting for, who's in them. I have printouts, and I keep these printouts with me by my bed. And when I go places, I take it with me. I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the stock market. That's invested in REITs and business development companies and blue chip dividend stocks and MLPs and hospital plays and some drug manufacturers and Exxon, DuPont, Pepsi, McDonald's, Starbucks, all of the great companies that you see in America, the ones that pay dividends. I, I collect these like some people collect and I wait for them to go on sale and I buy shares and I set the shares just to go to a general pool, I mean the dividends and the dividends come into the pool and I take the money from the pool and I allocate it to the shares or the stocks that I think present the best opportunity for me to earn the most money right now in that game. Because I can't go start a McDonald's, but I can invest in it. I can't start a Starbucks, but I could get $50,000 in Starbucks shares. You say, that's a lot. I know I'm an investor. And the 50 becomes 200. And the 200 buys an apartment building. And an apartment building makes you $5 million. Listen to what I just said. I'm not going to start a McDonald's. I'm not going to invent anything. I'm not going to be famous on television. I'm not going to do any of that. I could start a business, and I do run businesses, but I'm what's called a solopreneur. Robert Kiyosaki, the E, you're an employee. The B, you're a business owner. The I, you're an investor. And the S, you're self-employed. And Robert moved through all of these. He had a job, and then he started a business, and then he hired employees, so he went from employee right? To self-employed, to them business owner. Technically, technically, if you own a business, you have employees. You have to have employees to technically have a business. I don't, I don't technically have a business. You know, I have, I have equity partners and I have people that are on the payroll, you know, that own, they're investors in the business. There are no actual employees. Everyone's an equity partner. And so I'm a solopreneur. So I skip the E I'm doing the S, I'm an investor, I don't own a business. So looking at the four quadrants, I got a couple choices. One, I gotta try to make as much money as I can as a solopreneur, and then I gotta take as much of that money as I can and invest it in things that'll produce income because the things that produce income, that cash flow is what causes the compounding effect. And so five, six years of owning these assets, they become 50, 70, 90, 120, 130. And you don't just have one, you get dozens and 20, 30, 40, and you're just constantly investing. That was what I saw as my way out. 
that 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 was it. Like if you're going to be a normal guy, you're not going to start a business. You're not, you're not going to write a hit album. You're not going to be a professional sports player. You can still get rich. It's just a little bit different path and it takes a little bit longer. And as you begin to understand assets, you have to understand that these assets are caught inside what's called the business cycle. And what you have to understand is the business cycle goes up and down. It's not the end of the world. That if you properly structure your money, just because your assets get repriced or come down in price, doesn't mean you need to sell them. It probably means you need to begin accumulating them. It takes courage to do this, what I'm talking about. You don't get rich in the stock market and real estate market easily. It's an easy process, but it takes incredible courage and guts. Now let's say you want to go into the spectrum of literally churning and making money inside of this cycle. Because now I spot the cycle and let's say I own this business here. But guess what? Temporarily, because of I see a mispricing, an oil stock's too cheap. A real estate stock is too cheap. A hospital REIT that pays 8, 9, 10% a year income. Like I could buy this asset and it pays me money. And I think it's undervalued by 50%. And so I put $25,000 of, of my money in there. 25 grand. Hoping to turn the 25 into 100 and an income stream for as long as I want to own it. Why would you do that? And I want to do this to a bunch of different assets. I want to always be watching it. And so I began to watch the business cycle. And where were interest rates? Where are stocks? What is the price to earnings ratio? What is the historical price to earnings ratio right now? Are we really oversought? Or am I just reading a fucking article and I actually don't know what I'm thinking about? What does it mean, price to earnings ratio? What does that mean? What does the word yield mean? What does that word mean? If I said to you, what does the stock yield? What does that mean? How much is your, what is a REIT? What is a REIT? What is a business development company? These are the things that I talk about in my book, You Don't Have to Die Broke. These are assets that anyone, regardless of age, race, or financial, they can just begin accumulating. Like you could be a kid and just pour $100,000 into real estate. You know what happens when a kid does that at 19? I talk with kids with 100 grand. If they go all in on 25 in this one, 20, and, and like real businesses that are undervalued, that produce cash flow, they take the 100, they put 25 in this one, and they wait. They have a job and they're collecting money on that and they work. And guess what? Over here becomes on sale. That's undervalued. They push a 25 into there. Now they got these two assets, both producing income and they're working. And this process continues. And then maybe, maybe the next asset's not at the stock. The next asset is a, is a house. A couple houses down the block. They see a sign. They go in. Boom, they buy it. They go over there every night after work and on weekends and, you know, in their spare time. And their new hobby becomes... Painting, drywall, caulking, flooring, for fun. For fun. For fun, you're now in a house working on it. And now you begin to 10x multiply your earning power. Because sweat equity is money. You're just not being paid on the front end. You're being paid on the back end. You're being paid in wealth. The beautiful thing about the concept of sweat equity, you're being paid on the back end. You're being paid in wealth. Or writing a book that you wrote one time that sells for months and months and years and years. I have books I wrote four or five years ago. I have a book I wrote five years ago. 
And I make 30 to $50 every single day on that book. That's not a lot of money. $30? $30 is not a lot of money, right? That's two books. So think about it. A thousand people a day listen to this podcast. A couple hundred people a day look at a YouTube video. A couple thousand people a day look at an Instagram video. A couple people look at a tweet, right? I'm terrible on Twitter. <laughs> and from that, you're going to get people, hey, I'd like to buy that book. That's just me pushing my intent into the universe. Just seeing, hey, hey there's a marketplace here. And pushing myself in. That's what you're doing when you move into the stock market. Like, go learn. Go to fucking YouTube and put in history of the stock market. Go to YouTube and put famous stock market traders. Go to YouTube and say the Great Wall Street Crash. What happened? Go to YouTube and go the history of trading gold. Go to YouTube and say Federal Reserve. Go to YouTube and go in there and type in the business cycle. Go in there and type in blue chip dividend stocks. Like go in and be, and guess what you're doing? You're educating yourself. You're crash coursing. <laughs> And you just start taking this in every day. And then go in and put in the history of investing in real estate. I'm not talking about how to buy real estate. I want you to see the big, big fucking picture of what I'm talking about. Not your little world where you're at. I want you to see the entire history of this game. People have become billionaires buying pieces of paper. Billionaires not inventing something. They didn't write a movie or create a book. They didn't make a board game or create a toy. They bought a piece of paper that's now digital and they became a billionaire. That's the money game. That's the money game. And the thing is, no, we're probably not gonna become billionaires. You could. Some of you are that smart. Some of you have doctor's degrees. What if you took that mind, that personal discipline, that beautiful mind that you have, that way you have of seeing the world, and you begin to lay it on top of like a cloth, a hand, you just laid it on top of this thing we call the business cycle. And you step back, was it pillar number seven? And you looked at the giant picture of the global world. And you have, Put a map up on the wall, if it helps you. And begin to try to visualize the money flow. Money flowing through and out the cycle, the sector. How much money has flowed into Tesla today? My God, did I get that wrong. And there were people smarter than me that are short that stock. And it's up 60 something dollars today. $60. Ten shares, you're up six hundred dollars today. Today, your net worth would have went up six hundred dollars. Simply being a shareholder of the things that you use every day: Netflix, Amazon, Tesla, Ford, Pepsi, Campbell Soup, McCormick's, Shopify. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on of companies that you have insight in that you personally use that you know all about, the money flow flows all around you. Interest rates. You know what interest rates are. You pay them on your debt. 
Look at them. Are they going up or are they going down? Do you understand why when the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates, asset prices go up? Because there's bigger people in this game than you. The money game is bigger than me and you. It includes insurance companies and corporations, giants and titans. People with billions of dollars can move these assets around and we can ride on that. And so I can invest just like Warren Buffett anytime I want. I can ride on his coattails. I can see his portfolio. It's called an F-13. And you can go see every goddamn stock that Berkshire Hathaway owns. And you could invest right alongside one of the smartest, most brilliant men in the world. Do you think he sold anything today because of the prices went down today? But I guarantee you I have followers who sold out of stocks today. Investments. They sold out of investments because some other people repriced their investment. That's how little courage they have. That's how little guts they have. This is the low functioning plane that they exist on. That a little bit of blowback and pushback and their heart rate goes up a little. They get a little bit sweaty. Because some people they don't know in some other place change the ticker price on their investment. And they'll give up that yield, they'll give up that dividend, they'll give up that cash flow to avoid the immediate loss of a little bit of downtime, a little bit of asset repricing. And instead of seeing it as a point of opportunity, they're called weak hands, they shake out. That's what causes crashes. Every stock market crash I've participated in three was a gift from God. And I only took advantage of one of them. The first one, I was too stupid and young. The second one, I did the wrong thing. I was an idiot. In 2008, luckily, I was a little bit smarter and I began to buy Ford at $1.50 a Bank of America. This is about the time that I got wise to dividends and I began to buy. And I bought index funds too, just because I knew the S&P was too low and I would just shove money in there. I was just putting like $500 a week every week into the S&P 500, just week after week after week after week after week, all the way. Once we started selling off, I just started buying. And I just bought into the index, just kept buying and buying and buying. And when I didn't know which stock to buy in oil stocks, I just began buying XLE, just acquiring assets in these, these categories, these, these, these sectors that were just trounced banking stocks. I just started buying funds that own banking stocks. And I just put 500 in, 1,000 in, 800. And I would just try to get it to like $10,000. And then I try to get like the oil stuff to like $10,000, $15,000. And guess what happens 10 years later of continued compounding? And I've continued to add throughout all these years. I keep pushing in. The asset base grows large. And guess what? You, you get rich. But that's actively playing this thing. It's actively pursuing the idea of playing in the money game. It's not for everybody. But it is for some people. I spent the last decade writing and recording and teaching about entrepreneurship. Thousands of people, these concepts, few, and I mean very few, actually have taken action on them. The reason is fear. They're simply scared, scared of failure, and most of all, afraid of losing what they already have.
People will completely give up on their dreams if their job offers a good benefits package. And I've described that as heavy as the head that wears a crown because the crown doesn't get benefits. The crown has to bestow benefits. The crown is the giver of benefits. And so if you become the king of your own empire, the queen of your own empire, the king, the builder, you have to be the one giving benefits, not receiving them. So it takes special kind of mind, special kind of person to be a professional entrepreneur. I discuss protecting your wealth through diversification, through assets and separate accounts with different objectives. Now we need to discuss the possible, the most prolific stealer of wealth, and that is fear. Financial fear is responsible for robbing more of the world's wealth, in my opinion, than any other one event. Fear of losing something of value is completely natural and is also healthy as long as the fear is not too great. Fear is the natural instinct to help us survive. But when fear immobilizes you to the point that you can't take action, it is no longer help or healthy. Unbridled fear produces two negative responses, immobility and rash, rashness, irresponsible, ir, irrational responses. When fear takes your thought process, you won't take the, the positive actions you should. When opportunities come your way, you'll shun them for fear of potential loss, and you will only see the downside. We live... In an age where we are bombarded with information, and we need to understand that most of that information is wrong. The major media are almost always wrong about investing in the economy. When prices are moving up, they report on all the money being made. This causes the masses to jump in the market. Well, guess who the masses are buying the assets from? The smart money purchased these assets when the masses didn't want them. And as prices drop in the media, the, the media will report stories of people are losing money. Most of the people believe the major media. They think, how could all these experts be, possibly be wrong? So due to fear, people will wait on the sidelines till the experts and the media give the all clear sign. This usually comes too late and often near the top of rising prices. The smart money is only too happy to sell you their overpriced assets. We have, been, we have seen this happen in real estate, stock market, even in precious metals. Do you remember when gold was trading at eighteen to nineteen hundred dollar range? You couldn't escape a television commercial selling you an idea of buying gold. TV shows about gold were really also popular. Some investors who don't trust the media at all are, are fearful too. They are persuaded by what they read in alternative media and about the government debt and worldwide economic collapse. So they put all their money into gold and they bury their cash in the backyard. And instead of investing in stocks and real estate, they invest in bullets, guns, gold, and well. All three could be a good investment, I guess. Then when gold soars, they are afraid to cash it in and invest the profits in undervalued stock market or real estate. The end result is just as bad for those who allow fear to take wrong actions as to those who allow fear to immobilize them into no action. We're getting long-winded today. That was page 59 from my book, The You Don't Have to Die Broke. Um, appreciate Hey guys, thanks for listening to The Science of Getting Rich. Um, if you don't have a copy of my free book, you don't have to die broke. I was reading out of that on chapter nine of, of fear uh, toward the end there. And the uh, next episode, we'll, 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 I'll read through that. I got a little long-winded there in the beginning. Um, hope you have a great week. God bless.